You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's the Bama Online Podcast. It is an election day edition of the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Schreier, senior analyst for BOL, joined by site publisher Tim Watts as we get you going on a Super Tuesday. Tim Watts, let's bring you in here. Uh, look, the pod from last week, we'll go ahead and apologize for that. Beyond our control, uh, Mother Nature sort of took over in the form of Hurricane Zeta. Knocked our guy Tim Watts off the grid, at least temporarily, in terms of power and you know, just south of Birmingham down towards Clanton and Montgomery. Rough, rough times. And so, Tim, uh, we're just glad to have you back here in 2020 from a technological standpoint. You know, that was a it was a mess for me. Usually we'll have like the power's out. It's late at night. But two or three in the morning, I heard we have a pretty sturdy tree near the near our front window and it was but it was banging hard and it really had to be a strong wind to push this tree so i knew it was banging hard the lights went out the dogs started howling they were in the house to keep them safe and um didn't sleep woke up it was just a mess i mean there was you know there wasn't much damage uh there was no damage really to the house just the normal leaves and stuff blowing down but have the electricity off that long uh was inconvenient. I mean, I realize how spoiled, you know, you are when you're griping about, about that stuff, but um, it was weird. I mean, there was rumors it was going to be down four or five days. I saw people tweeting yesterday on Monday that they had just got their power back after four days, almost five full days. Wow. So uh, it was quite the adventure, but I am going to buy a generator, which I've said for 15 years, I would buy one. And, uh, but I am definitely going to buy one this time. Yeah, I've always threatened to buy a generator, and I haven't done it either, and I'm afraid I'm going to pay the price because of my uh, my uh, unwillingness to go ahead and follow through on that end. So I hear you on the generator thing. Um, so you got through Halloween in this situation. Uh, Trick-or-treat traffic. We're going to get into Bama and the bye week and all that stuff, I promise. But we're getting you caught up here. Howling traffic in your hood. Was it about what it's been in the past? Was it down due to the COVID and maybe even the the remnants of the weather from midweek last week? Uh, what was it like for you guys? You know, our house is uh, kind of unique. It's the last street on a big neighborhood. Uh, it's, a, it's a cul-de-sac. And leading to this street is a uh, just a dead end. So we've never gotten a ton of traffic. Add on the fact that the, it's a long driveway and it's uphill. Uh, also, the uh, the light on the porch was out. We didn't realize it. So we had a couple of brave souls who I rewarded warmly with uh, huge bags of candy. Um, I think one of them got almost half of it. I mean, this guy scared the crap out of me. <laughs> I walked by the door, the front door. And the, the thing is, our front door's got glass in it. And I walk by it all the time at night. And if it, out of the corner of your eye, you'll see somebody walking, which is you. Um, you'll just see your reflection. It'll startle you. And um, I did that again. I looked over, thought I saw myself. <laughs> looked back, realized that wasn't none of me. And uh, <laughs> I went back and, you know, said hello. And he said, I was ringing the doorbell. And we had the doorbell off. So we we're off to a very poor Halloween. And uh, I rewarded him handsomely, but not really. We've never got a lot of traffic, though. I don't think that reflects it. The kids did their normal things. Two went to uh, one went to high school party. One went to a one went to a college party. Uh, the youngest son went trick or treating, and our daughter had a party with uh, friends where they did some trick or treating in the neighborhood. So for our kids' sake, it was pretty normal. Um, pretty normal overall. Yeah, traffic in our hood was down, man, because our neighborhood is like, usually it's like Gatlinburg in October, like uh -oh. they bring them in by the bus load, it seems like, and I get it because the way the houses are situated and also, you know, the, the, the sidewalks, it's well lit, 
there's a lot of homes to hit for kids, but we were way down. And look, part of that may have had to do with Alabama playing football Saturday night on Halloween. I'm sure it did, but uh, in terms of overall traffic, we weren't we weren't what we we typically are. That's for sure. Uh, we had probably 20 to 25 kids come by. I would say in a normal year we're at 100 plus. So uh, I would say about a 75% drop off from where we're usually at. Speaking of uh, numbers and percentages, it is a Super Tuesday, an election day in our great country. We certainly hope, and we're not into political stuff here on the podcast, but in terms of exercising your privilege, your right to vote, we certainly hope each and every one of you will take advantage of that. On this Tuesday, and with that, Tim, I wanted to ask you because we have kids, both of us, sort of in this same age uh, t- frame and everything else. The voting age of eighteen. Do you think that's about right? Do you think it's a little uh, off? Uh, what do you think about that? I mean, I can only base it on my children, and the answer is yeah, it's way off. And, <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, way I'm off. Pretty, and I'm, Pretty sure that like Kanye West going to get one of their votes, you know. They're right in. Will be uh, you know you know they'll be going by Bill Knight, Nike shoes, Billy Ellis. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't think they really get into politics. I know I didn't at 21. I'm still not heavily into it. Um, but I, you know, the more the older I get, the more I realize there's really not anything they should be doing earlier than probably 25. Probably not driving, not drinking, not smoking, not voting. <laughs> Shouldn't go to college, shouldn't be away from their parents. When they hit 18 with my sons, I realized for the first time how stupid I was at 18 because <laughs> they do the exact same stuff I do. I mean, they yeah. think, they act, and they say it. So I know, um, yeah, I knew like my older brothers and pe- the older people that thought I was an idiot, y'all were right. Most of them are dead now, but nevertheless, they were right. What do you the think? One thing? The one thing I learned about from about what you're talking about, 17 to about even 25, is that I didn't live those years. I survived them, you know? So absolutely, I was kind of that guy as well, that person. But, you know, our youngest, Tatum, our, our, our youngest of the three, uh, she's 18 and she's voting today and she's into it, man. So from her perspective, I, I'm good with it. Uh, she's locked in, tuned in. She's, you know, done her research. She has her thoughts and her opinions and her beliefs on things already. So, uh, I'm happy for her. You know, I will say if we can, if we can enlist in the military as young as 17, I guess you can do that with parental consent. You can go into the armed forces at the age of 17 with parental consent. Otherwise it's 18. I'm good with you voting at 18. I guess I, I'm with you too, though. I mean, from a, a standpoint of being mature enough to legitimately consider issues and things like that, nah, I would I would guess that most kids aren't most 18 year olds aren't to that point. I will say that my my 19 and my 18 year old are very similar to me at that age. Probably you worried about sports, girls, what they're wearing. Uh-huh. Um, Thing in every part-time job was a you know I'm working my you know I'm working my fingers to the bone 19 hours a week. <laughs> um, so they're a little bit different now. My youngest two now my my youngest ones probably uh, if they ever pay attention to politics they probably would make really good people um, really good voters. So I think it really just comes down to the individual. I can it only does. go. I wasn't ready to vote at 18. I wasn't ready to drive at 16. And I was not ready to drink at 21, speaking just for myself. Yeah, it's interesting how the, the ages are kind of staggered when you get into the legal drinking age. And again, uh, the armed services, uh, enlistment, the military, uh, and then the, the sort of voting age that we have in the country as well. One thing we do know for sure, Tim, Alabama has reached its bye week on the football field. 6-0 and the Crimson Tide following a 41 to nothing shutout of Mike Leach in the Mississippi State Bulldogs last Saturday night at Bryant-Denny Stadium. And so we wanted to sort of get into some areas of this team at this point in the season as far as perhaps some spots where you 
anticipated Alabama doing what we've seen it do to this point? Maybe some areas that are beyond what we anticipated, maybe an area or two that has a little bit of catching up to do still during this 2020 season. Let's start with, uh, let's start with areas where Tim, you think this team is a little bit ahead of schedule. Where would you go first and foremost with that? You know, I think, you know, probably the passing game. Um, We knew Mac Jones had a chance. You and I have discussed it several times on this podcast. We didn't think that Bryce Young was just going to come in and walk over Mac. We knew Mac had the locker room. We knew he was confident. We had seen him play fairly well um, against Michigan, against Auburn, been put in some tough situations against Jeremy Pruitt with the first two injuries. So we knew he was battle-tested and all of that. But, I mean, this guy, he comes flying out of the gate, slinging the ball, (laughs) over 2,000 yards, 16 touchdowns. I mean, uh, has done really, really well. I mean, I didn't didn't expect – I was more curious – how the blend of Mac and Bryce Young would go. I mean, Mac's obviously grabbed this job and ran with it, but the passing game, I thought we would see a little bit more nuance with the new quarterback. I think we'd see a little bit more finesse. I thought we'd just be a little bit more work in progress. Obviously, that's changed with uh, with Waddle a little bit, but I thought Mac Jones has really been the you know the pleasant surprise of this class. Everything else on offense is sort of what we expected. It is. I I think Najee Harris has been what we expected, right, at the running back position. The offensive line at times has been dominant, has done a very good job in pass protection. Uh, I will say, if you had told me that in the Tennessee and Mississippi State games, Mac Jones and that passing attack would be without Jalen Waddell, I wouldn't have expected it to have averaged right around 340 passing yards in those two games. So what Mac Jones, what this passing game, what Steve Sarkeesian has been able to do, even without Waddle. Now, we'll see moving forward. That's going to be one of the big question marks as we continue through the final four games of the regular season into perhaps the Southeastern Conference Championship game, is can they sustain it? Now, against Mississippi State, it was pretty much the Devontae Smith show, Tim. And I think that would be a little bit more worrisome as much as they went to Devontae against State if we hadn't already seen what John Mechie can do when given more targets, and even Slade Bolden against Tennessee. So your thoughts, your expectation for this passing game without Waddle moving forward, do you think it'll be pretty much seamless? Do you think there's ultimately a point where you're really going to feel the impact of Jalen Waddle not being around? How do you sort of see that playing out here down the stretch? You know, there's no – I don't think there's any way you can you can say that there's not – he won't be missed, you know. I mean, that's like saying that you – you know, um, I mean, such a big part, such a dynamic part, such a unique part. With that said, out of all the major injuries Alabama could have suffered, it's probably somewhere on offense like the uh, wide receiver position that they probably had the most flexibility. You're right. Mechie has shown up. Devonta Smith, and I don't really think it matters. Teams know you're going to Devonta Smith. It's not anything new. They knew Alabama was going to Devonta Smith last year when he led them in yards and receptions and everything. They know they were going to him. You still got to stop them. You know, there's a lot of great wide receivers in at every level where everybody knows he's getting the ball, and they uh, still are very successful. Though I don't want to downplay the loss of Waddle, such a unique player. Um, it just, you know, the. The, the thing that probably just, you know, haunts you the most is how, you know, the which play he got injured on. Um, yeah. Almost a fluke play, shouldn't have came out, opening kickoff, super height, uh, a playmaker was tackled, ankle rolled under him, and somebody just so happened to fall on him. Very clean play. I mean, there was nothing dirty about it. It was just completely bad luck almost. Um, so, but I do think they have guys that can step up, and I do think that, like, you know, you look at Mississippi State, uh, that's not a game you're going to get super hyped for. You're 5-0. and Mississippi State is really struggling. You really want to see what your defense can do. That's sort of the game, like, what can they do here? Offensively, I mean, they were lethargic at times. I mean, they, they could have – to me, it was very vanilla, very simple. Get through the game. Don't get any injuries. Get to the bye week. Prepare for LSU. Got a couple tough games coming up, LSU-Auburn. Arkansas, Kentucky's at it. 
I mean, you know, that's, it. that's your four. So, you know, you've got Kentucky and Arkansas, sneaky good defenses that are, you know, very physical. You got LSU, which is a big rivalry game. You got Auburn, which is, you know, Kevin Steele defense, which you certainly can't underestimate him. So I think you just get to that bye week and you want to take a breath. I don't think they had to show a lot against Mississippi State, and I don't think they did. So I still think they got guys over there that can make plays, Slay Bolden, Mechie, some of those young guys. Those are some talented young guys that have to figure out some things like blocking. Um, I'd like to see Billingsley more in the passing game. Uh, mm-hmm. not, not as good a blocker as Carl Tucker, but he is that receiving threat, almost like a, you know, he's almost that tight end wide receiver hybrid. So, and Sark's dialed up a lot of great games. So there's a lot, lot to look forward to. Um, in these last four games with the offense. Yeah, I think as much as anything with Waddle, and whereas you're definitely going to miss that home run ability on any given touch with him, is you got to keep the rest of these guys healthy for as long as you can. And you saw Najee pick it up as a receiver each of the last two weeks. He had six catches against Tennessee, six more against Mississippi State. So his versatility helps you there in the passing game. And I agree. I thought we saw a team against Mississippi State even if it wasn't as much about the players looking forward to the bye week or the open date, it's that it needed it. Six straight games against SEC opponents, a great time for a, a little bit of a break anyway before you head to Baton Rouge. You know, one of the things about Mississippi State, I mean, I think more most people have focused on um, the offense. It's Leach, it's a big deal, and he gets it all. But their defense is a nasty little group. I mean, they – they, uh, they held LSU's offense when it was at full throttle to less than 400 yards or around 400 yards. They kept Texas A&M to less than 400 yards. So that, that those often, in fact, they held Texas A&M to 325 yards. So that defense is a little salty. That's a good group over there. And Alabama, you know, pretty much had their way with them besides that third quarter, which is always, always seems to be a little bit of a struggle in those uh, sandwich games. But Mississippi State was a scrappy little defense, and I think Alabama put up a good, you know, put up a good product considering. Yeah, I think Zach Arnett, the defensive coordinator, young guy, that uh, Leach was able to get in there from really out in the Mountain West Conference primarily, is going to be a name to keep an eye on for the future. Uh, does some cool things with the three three five and uh he is. He, he's one of those energy guys, and, and, and I think he's a guy that you're going to see more of in the future. Absolutely. He's fired up coaching on that sidelines. The players reacted to him. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, guarding, stopping Najee from running the ball or, or, or stopping a guy like Devonta Smith, that's not, you know, that's not many defensive coordinators that can do either of those, especially both. But I thought they did a fairly good job of them. A good, solid defense, a good, solid performance, you know. I think you, that's about what you wanted heading into this. You know, this is a two-week break. I mean, you get to relax. I mean, not that they won't be doing other stuff, but this is a chance to turn a little bit more attention to recruiting, uh, finishing off this class, and, and, and working that while preparing not only for LSU. And that's a big game. Let's don't, let's don't kid ourselves about a point spread or LSU is down. LSU will give everything they've got. They have to after all that shit they talked last year. <laughs> I mean, they ran that mouth a lot, so they've got to give a thousand percent in this game. And I think you know Alabama's going to be a motivated team as well. I mean, there was a lot going on last year, you know, between Alabama and LSU. So that's going yeah. To be if, a you're big- Al- if you're Alabama, you got to get back on the neck with the foot with LSU too, as quickly as possible, right? I mean, you've owned LSU largely over the last decade. And, you know, if you're Nick Saban and you're, you know, and you're talking about one of your primary competitors in every facet of your program, whether it's on the field recruiting, you want to put that foot right back on the throat of LSU as quickly as you can. And, and if you can do it, you want to do it in decisive fashion. I mean, you want to go into Baton Rouge, not only win the game, obviously that's the primary objective, but if you can really do it with emphasis, all the better, you know? And so with that, Tim, I'm going to ask you, as far as this Alabama team at the bye week, an area where in terms of its championship hopes, that's going to have to continue to evolve, improve, and make strides if 
this is going to become another one of those kind of teams under Nick Saban. Yeah, I mean, college football, we say this every week. I say it on the message boards after every game. It's an insane season. I mean, this is a crazy season. This is not normal. Um, the schedules changed. There was no cupcakes. Top-ranked teams lose every daggone week. Uh, you know, Georgia was struggling last week, 114-3. Clemson struggled uh, last week. So you've seen all that. So every game, I mean, I'm just, you know, we got here. That's, you know, that's a good victory. We should pat ourselves on the back for even getting to the halfway point of this season. But for college football, the SEC has did a great job despite being criticized by all the medical people in the Big Ten, who I'm not not sure knew what they were talking about on a lot of issues. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a crazy – got to every week's almost like a Super Bowl. you got to play. you got to win. Alabama's got a little leeway, a lot of leeway with that huge win at Georgia. So they actually have a mistake in their uh, – uh, they could possibly have a misstep and still make the playoffs. But, you know, you want to finish this season undefeated. You want to get to the SEC championship game. You pretty much know who you're playing this week after the Georgia-Florida game, right? Wouldn't that pretty much lock it up? Or? I would say Saturday is pretty much going to determine the Eastern Division representative for Atlanta. Yes, I would agree with that. Has at least, the loser has at least two SEC losses, so that's that's going to be hard. They'd the, they'd have to uh, the winner would have to lose two games for the loser of that game to catch up. So right. So know who you're prepared, you know, preparing to play. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's not a there's not a lot, you know, there's not a lot of room for let up. But Alabama's in as good a shape. If we sat down to start of the year and said, where do you want to be at the break? Outside of the Jalen Waddle uh, injury, me and you, would, this would have been exactly where we, we would have wanted. You would want to see freshmen beginning to step up. And, hey, you know, Malachi Moore stepped up day day one. And then you had Brian Branch is working in. Tim Smith, Dancing Bear. Did we not say that a million times, Tim Smith? You need to get that patented, the Dancing Bear with Tim Smith. You need to get the T-shirts. Dude, I had that old coach when I first. <laughs> that was his term. I, I would, I would feel like it was impactful. It's your go-to, and look, that's fine. that's fine. That's fine. That's what these big guys look like when they're that big, as uh-huh. big as Eric can move around, and you know uh-huh. this class is full of them. The one they're signing with Brockermeyer, uh, you know the offensive tackle J.C. Latham. There's two sure. guys. Big there, athletic so. guys are a good thing, no <laughs> doubt about yeah. it. Move and Tim Smith and Jamel Burroughs, Jamil Burroughs, who we talked a lot about, who had a weird process with committed to Georgia, got out of shape in the offseason, flipped to Alabama, got in shape, and had great senior film. You're sort of seeing what we like so much about him now. He's another guy, he's big. And those two guys, what they now you've got big guys who are strong and okay, fairly athletic, but Tim Smith and Jamil Burroughs are quick. Mm hmm. You're playing that slap game with your hands. They are slapping. They've got twitch for big yes, guys. Yeah. Exactly. They, that's exactly what they've got. So that's impactful. Barmore's got that. So seeing those guys step up, you're seeing Branch. You know, Branch had a pretty good game. So you're seeing these guys step up a little bit more and more. Trey Sanders was really encouraging, I thought, this last game. Yeah, we're going to get into the freshmen a little bit more here in a second. But I think what the common theme is here. In terms of an area of this team that needs to continue to step forward is we're talking about the defensive side of the ball. And so you need to continue to see Dylan Moses take steps towards not only being the unquestioned leader on that side of the ball, but an impactful playmaker on a week to week basis. Uh, The safeties need to continue to take that step forward. Brian Branch, as you said, his emergence has been very positive, even DeMarco Hellams late in the game against Mississippi State, did some nice things uh, as well. So the defensive side of the ball, it was encouraging to see what it did against State, even with State struggling like it had the previous three weeks. Uh, Still had to take care of business, and the Alabama defense was able to do that. Now, the freshmen that we were hitting on there um, that we mentioned up front on defense with Tim Smith, Jamil Burroughs, but yeah, Will Anderson, you talk about Again, some primary pieces for the future. Will Anderson, Malachi Moore, Brian Branch, that trinity of defenders. Would you say to this point, Tim, they've been about what you expected them to be? Yeah, they. you know, to be honest, they've been a little bit more. 
I mean, you when you look at a defense that needed playmakers desperately, and you've seen what Malachi's done and what Will's done, and Will's a force. You know, I know we get caught up kidding around about the sacks, and we do it on the message board that he doesn't have sacks. But he's got tackled for losses, and he's got, you know, habits. Yeah. You know where Will Anderson's at. I mean, the crazy thing about this is, technique-wise, I don't think he's very far along. But I think when he gets that technique, I mean, this dude is going to be a monster. Not that he isn't now. He's got, you know, he leads the nation in almost sacks. There's at least 19 almost sacks my guy's got. Uh, <laughs> tackles for losses, hits you. I mean, how many times have that read option, uh, has he killed the guy, the yeah. running back? That, if that quarterback ever accidentally hands off, he's going to. He, he's he's hit people in the backfield. They just haven't always had the ball when he's hit them. Oh, that, but, yeah, yes. I mean, you, you, his I'm presence. Yes, that's not a play I love. His presence is, is very he much. He's the ball or not, that's his job. So, Will's been great. You're seeing guys. Tim Smith's a pleasant surprise. And there's a lot of talent. And we do this last year. I mean, this is a group we really liked. We really talked about um, – you know, we're seeing JV and Cohen getting in some games now. Big yeah. offensive lineman Alabama flip. Ronald Williams, a Juco guy, Juco cornerbacks finally healthy and getting into play. So we're seeing a lot of the guys. And they are, you know, they are what we thought they they, they were gonna be. And um, it's been it's been nice for Alabama to be in command of some of these games. Again, against SEC only competition to be able to play as many as these young guys as they've been able to play, including Bryce Young, who we're going to do this. This is human nature. And when you consider the background and the potential for this guy and his ceiling and what he's going to be in the very near future, uh, when Bryce Young gets into games, boy, we pick apart those reps, don't we? Yeah. You know, it's, it's weird because I don't really see Bryce in there in the same situation as Mac. It's a backup offensive line unit. Um, not it's not all backups, but I mean you got your your backup running back. You don't have Najee in there, not really passing. They're up so big, but he's getting some good reps. Uh, I think a lot of people want to see him with the first team, uh, the entire first team. But he's not the first team quarterback. You know that's that's sort of the thing. They're going with the system they've always went with, and um, and he has the worst luck. If you think about it, here's one thing you can almost guarantee. Alabama's going to be up big at half, at least three of these games, Missouri, Mississippi State. Well, they'll come out in the third quarter, and they lay an egg. Not motivated. They got this game. They don't really put up points because we're all sitting there waiting for what? Bryce Young to play. So they don't really score. And every game that that team they're ahead of gets one long drive. Like Mississippi State had like a seemed like a 25-minute drive in that third quarter. You remember they didn't score. But there was a lot of plays, a couple of penalties that kept it going. Missouri was the same way. So the third quarter's gone before Alabama really salts that game away with that last touchdown. Then Bryce gets in. Um, but, you know, Bryce didn't really get to showcase as much as Trey Sanders. Uh, Pierce Quick got some action, a guy we really, you know, we really liked in the recruiting process. So it's, uh, you know, his time's going to come. And, the, you know, the one of the things about Malachi Moore stepping in Tim Smith stepping in um, Will Anderson stepping in they didn't get a spring to go through they missed practices they missed a spring Malachi and Tim weren't even uh, December graduates January enrollees so that makes it even more impressive because think of think of the reps this freshman class lost yeah they did there's no doubt about it yeah the reps and the experience they lost so that makes this even more important because this is old Tim Watts and Travis Ryer freshman playing showing up in August for three weeks before the season. Been at the lake for, you know, two yeah. weeks riding jet skis. They got to look like the guy, you know, they got <laughs> a top burn going. and uh, That's what these guys did. So it's very impressive. Riding go-karts down in Orange Beach, you know, and then yeah. rolling up to Tuscaloosa. Let's play a little football back in like 96 or 97. Yeah, no doubt about it. Shirt. <laughs> Ah, all right, so we talked about freshmen. Let's talk a little recruiting with Tim Watts, site publisher for us there at BamaOnline.com. It's the Bama Online Podcast, and as always, we certainly encourage you, if you haven't already, to subscribe to the Bama Online Podcast. Very simple, click or two. You're going to be a part of our 
little podcast family here, the Bama Online Podcast. Leave us a rating and a review while you're there. We would certainly appreciate that as well. From a recruiting perspective, I see where Alabama right now, in terms of staff, has three assistants that are currently ranked among the nation's top five recruiters for the 2021 cycle. Charles Huff, the running backs coach, huge run to this point, number one on that list. And then you also have Carl Scott and uh, Jeff Banks in that top five as well. So with that, Tim Watts, I ask you, as Alabama looks to fill the precious few slots it has left in this class, which UA staff member has the most targets still out there for this uh, 2020, uh, 2021 haul? You know, you got Alabama divides it up so well. I mean, when you look defensive line wise, probably a lot falls on Freddie Roach, whether he's a primary or not. I think they want to take one, possibly two more defensive linemen. Uh, Jeff Banks has some major guys like uh, um, Tamice Adelaide. What's his name? uh, Tamice. Now I'm screwing up. Adelaide. Yeah, and Shamar Turner. There's two guys. I got my, my names. Alabama just offered a 2022 Shamar. There's two big names yeah. right there that Jeff Banks is on. Freddie Roach will be uh, working on them. Um, so it's really divided up pretty good. I mean, Pete's, Pete Golding had, you know, had Sage Ryan. He's still got Mason Smith. He has uh, Brian Thomas, a wide receiver. Those are all Louisiana kids. You know, the thing about Pete, not only does he take – a lot of the heat for the defensive coordinator. He also has like the toughest areas in the country. He's got to go recruit Mississippi and Louisiana and try to take the best players away from LSU. Like with Sage Ryan, I don't care what anybody says. The guy did a phenomenal job. He was the best recruiter in that scenario. He was the best because because until the Tuesday before this kid announced, we weren't really talking. We weren't really talking about Sage Ryan. We didn't talk about him in this class. LSU shouldn't have been in any kind of drama with a kid whose uncle is Trev Falk and LSU legacy. His cousin is Kevin Falk, who's daggone recruiting him. He'd been to LSU 50 times. But I'll tell you this, that kid was committing to Alabama, did commit to Nick Saban, and decided yeah. to commit on his birthday. And then the in-state pressure and the family ties, which were always going to be there. Maybe the kid didn't know it. Because everybody, you know, it's like, the, remember I told you that old story about Tim Tebow. It was like, Tim Tebow went down to that lake with his dog. And his dad said, go down there and think what you want to do, little Timmy. Now, Timmy went down and sat at that lake with that dog. And he came back and he said, Florida. And dad said, all right, that's a good, you made your own decision. Had Timmy walked back from that lake and said, Alabama, Timmy was going back to that lake with that dog to think about it some more. Tebow, Tim Tebow liked Alabama staff better. Loves it, 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 he, he wasn't big on Urban Meyer. I don't, I don't think Urban Meyer you know realized that. Urban Meyer, it's, it's, Urban Meyer wasn't that big on Tebow. Yeah, and which is crazy because when you think of Urban Meyer's system, it's you, you would and and you think about Tim Tebow's skill set, you would have thought it would have been just very easy to get those two together. It was, and but, remember Urban Meyer when he he had just got there, right? Not too yeah, long ago, and had yeah. focused on him and had other quarterbacks, and they had to actually sell Urban Meyer on Tim Tebow. Tebow loved Shul, great family. Tebow was a great kid, uh, you know, really mature even for his age. Really, you know, surprisingly humble to be. You know, he was a big deal. You know, he was he was he was a big deal early on, but you know, I'd see him at the Nike. Camps we covered, and he walked over. He said, Mr. Tim, what's the record for bench press? And I was like, whatever you do, I got a feeling you're about to break it. And I told him, he whispered it. And uh, he went and broke it and stopped. I think he stopped right after he broke it, one over the record, um, just that kind of guy. But I, I think the same thing happened to Sage. Sage felt it was his decision. And then um, – when it was time to commit, and he liked Alabama. This, this, this. In hindsight, Alabama had been trending with him for for a while. Then LSU, the family ties came into play, and I don't blame LSU. That's exactly what I would have done. Um, they couldn't afford to lose that guy, so I still think Pete Golden did a great job. But he's still, you know, he's going into Louisiana. He's fighting for these kids. These aren't easy, you know, easy battles on top of being the defensive coordinator so he, he still got some big guys jeff banks has some big guys and they, and as always they'll te- they'll they'll uh they'll uh 
work this together. I mean, they'll all work. And Nick Saban's been really hands-on in this cycle. Not that he isn't usually, but the Zoom calls with the COVID and everything. And, uh, you know, just like, you know, it's amazing to look at where we were in April. Will there, will there be a season? Will, there, will Alabama have Deontay Lawson, you know, sitting there on an island by himself like he's on Survivor and got booted? So we had so much uncertainty. So to get here in November and Alabama to be – close to number one in the nation, have the number one recruiting class, you know, have a couple of guys being mentioned for the Heisman. I don't know how Devonta Smith isn't being mentioned for the Heisman. Wrong position. He's a wide receiver. That's what, that's what, just like Najee. Yeah. You know, we said this heading into this year. We said it last year. I thought Henry Ruggs before the season would be wide receiver. Number one. I didn't think he was appreciated enough heading into this season. I said the same thing about Devonta Smith because Waddle and Judy mesmerized us. And if you're like Alabama fans, they know what they're looking at. They know what they're talking about. But if you're talking about the national media, if you're talking about the national fans, they see Waddle. They saw Judy. That mesmerized them. I mean, I remember last year telling people on radio and and speeches and stuff that Devonta was a leading receiver, and they were stunned. Statistically, he was a leading receiver. So Mm -hmm. those guys, Rose was that same way. But you've got guys – and I think this is going to matter in the NFL. You have a guy like Jamar Chase, really great athlete. He had one great year, sat out this year, versus a guy, Devonta Smith, who could have went pro and didn't and came back. And this is a guy that plays on special teams as well, which I still think is a, is a big factor in what sort of pushed rugs over the edge, that toughness, that willing to block. And I think Devonta uh, could end up wide receiver one if, you know, if everything stays its course in the next draft. Yeah, it doesn't go overlooked by NFL people. The not only the production, but the sort of mindset and edge that he brings to the table, and it also answers questions about his size because he is 175 pounds. But the dude plays two bills. You know, he plays 25 pounds heavier than his uh, listed weight. There. Hey, uh, we're gonna get into the mailbag. That's right. It's a little bit deferred, but we got you. We got you on the roundtable. It's the Bama Online Podcast Mailbag. It's coming up next with Tim Watts, site publisher for BOL, and me, Travis Ryer, senior analyst for the website. We'll do the mailbag portion of the podcast when we come back right after this. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Back with more of a Super Tuesday edition of the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for Bama Online, joined by site publisher Tim Watts. And Tim, it's one of our favorite parts, favorite aspects of doing the old podcast. We're going to jump into the T. Watts and TR mailbag if you're ready to do that. What do you think, Tim? You ready to go? Absolutely. So we'll start with Bama Boy E. And again, these are questions we have received over the last week or so. And he's asking about with the Waddle injury and how you expect, how we expect teams to play Alabama's wide receivers, Devontae Smith, Slade Bolden, Mechie, even uh, Miller Forstall at the tight end position. Well, we've had essentially eight quarters to sort of watch this. I guess I was surprised in the Mississippi State game, and I guess you credit Steve Sarkeesian with some of this from a game planning standpoint how much Alabama was still able to get Devontae in some one-on-one situations, not only with corners, but even on occasion with some safety. So, Tim, based on what we've seen to this point from opponents, um, 
When do the double teams start coming for Devontae Smith, do you think? I just think it depends. I mean, with LSU, I think they've got a really good defensive back, Stingley. Corner, they'll probably put on him. Um, and, hey, Alabama's a problem. It's more than just Devontae. I mean, with Alabama's proven if you pay too much attention to one guy that Sark's going to figure you out or pound the ball or depending on your the back end of your defense, how many defensive backs you've got in. So it's not as easy as just wrap around them. Um, if it was that easy, you wouldn't have seen Amari Cooper running running free like uh, Cheetah Cheetah and the Serengeti there every every year for Alabama. I remember Amari was a guy everybody say, "Why don't they cover him like they're trying?" I think, Lane did a Lane did a great job yeah, too, of think, moving him around and giving I mean, him matchups. Well, CBS would snap the ball and you're watching the line of scrimmage, and then all of a sudden the ball was thrown and you look up and Amari looked like. Run on Acuna in center field catching the ball. There was no one near him. So he, yeah, he did. I think with Devonta, it's going to be the same way. He's got great get off. He's got great acceleration. He's got unbelievable hands. He's smooth. Uh, there's nothing about him you don't like. So I think they're going to find ways to give him the ball. And the thing about him, you don't have to throw it deep with Devonta because you throw it short, which is going to turn out to be a long pass play pretty easy. He's got one job, one step, one juke, and, you know, he's going to be gone. So. But I do expect other guys to step up. There's talented group behind them. Slate Bolden's turned, you know, had a pretty good game. As I just, you know, slid in there in that water roll and had a good game. And um, obviously, Mechie's going to be a handful as well. But there's other guys down there that, that can step up. Those freshmen, I think that's the biggest question. Two weeks to go, which freshman wide receiver steps up? Javon Baker's been talked about a lot. Uh, that would probably be my guess, but it, it is just a guess. Um, so you're going to see which one of those guys steps up against LSU because they're going to need another receiver or two just to keep you know keep him honest. Well, you got to keep a guy hot in case you have an injury like you had with Waddle. You know they did just enough with Bolden and Bolden in his third year in the program that helped too and the familiarity, the relationship he had already established with Mac Jones has proven extremely valuable. But you got to keep that next guy up because with injuries you just never. No, Mac Man 10 on the round table. I think Mac Man 10 might be a Mac Jones fan. What do you think? His question, will Mac Jones be in an Alabama uniform next year, Tim? How do you sort of view the uh, the viability of Mac Jones as a legit first-round quarterback for the 2021 draft right now? I, I don't think Mac's going to end up in the first round. I think that he's more of a, you know, a second day kind of guy. I could be wrong, but it's a reasonably how many how many how many teams need a quarterback? There's obviously a handful of teams that need a quarterback. How many are willing to to spend that first round pick on him? You know, though, Tim, it's it's like car shopping with the wife. It ain't always what she needs; it's what she wants. Oh, they're gonna draft two guys in the they first overreach round every week. year. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to be draft. They'll draft two guys in the first round that'll be Affleck spokesman in three years. That's for sure. Um, for sure. I think Mac to me is more of a second day guy, not as a slight because this guy we didn't even see on draft boards. You know, eighteen months ago, we weren't even talking to Mac. In fact, Mac Jones was literally getting skipped over straight from Tua to Bryce Young. So I think he's more right now a second day guy, second or third round pick. Uh, certainly with the quarterback position, when the dominoes start falling that early, Trevor Lawrence is going early. I imagine Justin Fields goes early. Trey uh, Lance, the North Dakota State kid, is going to take a shot on him. There's no doubt about it. Um, really talented kid, only played one game. That BYU quarterback's got a little Johnny Manziel. Um, the Mormon Manziel, they've called him uh, out yeah, there. Mormon Manziel. What's his name? Zach Wilson. Wilson. Yeah, Zach Wilson. Dude's got yeah. a camp. So that's the four then Max thrown in there somewhere. He certainly could go to the bottom of the first round, as you said, at the quarterback position. As far as whether he's here, you know, you know, to me, I think it's if if it's I I don't know Mac Jones, and I don't know, you know, most of these people, you can't read their mind. If it's me, I if I'm getting a second day grade, I'm probably going if I'm Mac Jones. I don't see how a stock uh. get higher. I don't see how he could play with a more talented team. I mean, you know, he's playing the end of last year and this year is one of the most talented teams in NCAA history. He's hot as he's going to get um, stock-wise. I don't see what else. And he's got to be, what, 22, 23 years old now? He's been in the system four years. Yeah, 
you know, and everybody's motivation is different. Like you said, I, I don't know Mac well enough to, to know if the NFL has always been the sort of beacon on the hill, hill for him from a career path perspective. Uh, I don't think in terms of his personal background, it's something he has to do or is going to feel additional pressure to go do from a financial perspective. Um, but, you know, he's going to have the luxury of, of, of a lot of flexibility in what he does. And so I'm with you, though, Tim, in that when I watch Mac Jones and I think about how NFL people, and you know this, how they project guys, I, I don't know if they see Mac ceiling being what, say, Tua's was before him or maybe even Joe Burrow from a year ago when you talk about just physical attributes. I don't know. I, that's the way I see it anyway. But no, but I, you you can make no, the argument from Mac's standpoint that, okay, well, if I'm at my ceiling, then why hang around? See, I wonder if, you know, I think that I don't think it would be financial and, again, complete speculation. But I think the guy's a competitive guy. No doubt. There's a certain amount of pride, and hey, I'm the I'm the same way. I I would I would be a guy that loves college. I like I said, I'd be Damian Harris. They'd have to drag me off campus most likely. But there's a certain amount of pride of going second, third round pick. There's a lot of people to prove wrong. I think that chip's been on his shoulder since he signed, following Tua, following Jalen. You know, the, I think the kid, uh, I think he's got that chip on his shoulder to want to show show somebody. And hey, that's pretty good money. I mean, the you know, if you can stick in the NFL five or six years, even without playing, you're making a you're making a pretty good living. And you're vested right. after five or six years. And you know, but you know, Matt could be like the Mannings. Matt could be like Tim Tebow. Um, there, there's a lot of value as there was for Tim Tebow to be a star quarterback, not only in the Southeastern Conference, but at one of the flagship programs like Alabama. So, uh, again, without knowing exactly what's going through his mind that's just kind of to throw some scenarios out there that would likely be in consideration uh you would think Saban 21 on the round table tim he wants to hear more about the use of analytics at alabama does alabama actively use them in game or does Saban generally just go by feel experience i know some coaches in both nfl and college actively use analytics in game but have been curious if Saban does as well. I don't think there's any doubt, Tim, that analytics are a big part of what goes on over there off Bryant Drive. When you have a staff the size of Alabama's and you have the resources that Alabama has, you're going to accumulate research, pile together as much information and break it down as well as you possibly can. What about in game though? I, I have, I have a tough time envisioning Nick on the headsets asking, okay, Punch in third and eight from our own forty-two and see what it tells you. I, I don't. I don't see Nick is that kind of guy. I don't know about you. Can, you. can you imagine? Hey, what's that sheet say? What should I do here? <laughs> no, I think. Uh, I think you're looking at old school coach with Nick Saban. I think he's going based on what he knows, what he sees. It would surprise me if you know. There's a lot of old school guys, especially on defense. It surprised me if. Uh, a Steel or a Pruitt or a you know Kirby Smart were doing the analytics. I think on offense with Sark, I think you're seeing a little bit more. I think when you look at you know you look at guys like Lane Kiffin and Sark and and uh, you know Hugh Freeze and those guys, I think they are factoring in the analytics based on what they see, what play will work best against them. I think defense is just you know I think it's an old school type of thing. You know Nick Saban strikes me as an old school type of guy. Uh, but the thought, just the thought of, hey, it's third and two, y'all tell Pete what to do on that sheet. Uh, that, yeah. That laminate, hey, where's my sheet? I can't you know, I think, sheet. Uh, I really. think offensively it might be more analytically driven. And in terms of preparation, there's no doubt about it. I can promise you from a film perspective, they've got every situation broken down to the minute detail. Third and one in plus territory, third and one inside the red zone, third and one, third and goal from the three, you know, tendencies, things like that. Preparing for opponents, there is no doubt that analytics are very much involved. And I would venture to guess even on the offensive side of the ball in game, Sark probably has it broken down. Okay, when we get in third and three, 
in the red zone, this is what, you know, our menu kind of is. And he chooses from that. There's obviously a script offensively that he goes into an opening script that he goes into every game with that is certainly based on analytics. You saw it against Mississippi State last Saturday night. Steve Zarkeesian saw, and that offensive staff saw, what Isaiah Spiller in Texas A&M was able to do out of a pistol formation running the football. So what did Alabama open up in against Mississippi State? Pistol formation and gashed State with a couple of Najee Harris runs. I guess it could come down to the different areas of the team too, right? Offense, defense, special teams. Yeah, and I think you also football happens so fast. You know, with baseball, you got time to. I mean, when you see the guys; they pull off their hat in the outfield. They look at their card, and they're figuring out everything they need to do. And the and the manager, you know, you saw the Rays use analytics crazy. They had arm slot. Who couldn't hit this arm slot? Uh, analytics, so they were they were matching up with that kind of stuff. But there's a lot; it's a lot slower pace in baseball. I mean, in football, you got 25 seconds if you're lucky, you know, to get a playoff. If you're playing a really fast team, you got eight to ten seconds. So I would imagine the the planning, the scheming, analytics come into play as far as analyzing stuff. But I think at the end of the day, they're making split seconds. Hey, Sark's a smart guy. Pete's a smart guy. Nick Saban's yeah. a smart guy. Those are some intelligent people. Uh, who have different levels of experience, but Sark certainly has had, you know, he, he's been around a long time and seen a lot. Not the same as Pete, who's younger and really, you know, thrown into the, you know, thrown into the, uh, thrown into the yeah. Alabama defensive coordinator. Sark's been around a long time, so it's going to come more naturally to him. And defensively, you are going to be more reactionary because the offense is dictating personnel. And sort of how you respond to that. Are they in three wide receiver set? Are they in a four wide receiver set? Is there two tight ends? So you're having to decide just from a personnel perspective how you respond with base, nickel, dime. And then you go from there in terms of your coverages and your pressures and some things that perhaps you had game planned uh, heading into a respective contest. Hey, let's wrap things up in the mailbag with some hoops, man. Some men's basketball. Bama, Bama backer Bill asks, well, he wants to know who we think our starting fives will be for the Alabama men's basketball team. Um, and also from a scheduling perspective, Bama backer Bill is asking kind of what's going on there. Uh, still a little bit in flux there from a schedule perspective. We do know. Alabama will open the season in Asheville against Stanford as a part of the Maui Invitational that had to be moved from the Big Island to Asheville, North Carolina. That game will take place on November the 30th. There is the Big 12 SEC Challenge that's going to involve Oklahoma on January the 30th. And so we do have an idea of some of the non-conference portion of the schedule. We do know the SEC schedule will consist of 18 games. That will get underway the weekend of December the 29th, or the dates of December the 29th and December the 30th. So uh, still trying to figure out exactly. We haven't seen an official release from Alabama uh, where the SEC and the non-con is uh, totally confirmed there. But uh, what do you think, Tim, in terms of a potential starting five for this team? I mean, you consider Herb Jones is back. John Petty is back. Um, you expect Javon Quinterly to certainly jump in there on the basketball, but then you've got guys like Josh Primo coming into the program. Jordan Bruner comes in as a grad transfer. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're in very good shape at the, the two guard spot because of, you know, what you're able to, to return there in one of the top sophomores in in college basketball. So how do you sort of lay that out right now as far as a potential starting five, Tim? You know, you look at Petty and Jones, it's easy just to slap them in there. Um, everything I've heard about Jordan Bruner, he's a guy that's going to play. I would guess he's coming into play, as is Quinnery, who poor guy's waiting forever, it seems like, to get on back on. Everybody got a waiver except Javon Quinnery. I mean, it's, it's really one of the – and you know what? It pisses me off. And another one was the kid from Georgia who went home, the tight end who went to Illinois. The football guy didn't get one. And he yeah. grandfather to see him play, and he passed – just let them all go. Who that? Who, who are y'all kidding with this crap? Anyways, the uh, I think the, you know the one spot I'm most curious about is that second guard. Will it be Josh Primo? Will it be Jaden Shackelford? Will it be uh, the junior college? Uh, Keon Ellis coming uh, in. That's sort of that sixth. 
sixth spot I'm looking at. I think you're going to see guys like Alec Fries and Ambrose Hilton coming off the bench. Juwan Gary, all those guys are going to play. But I think that second guard spot, I think Quinn Reeves going to lock up that point. Um, I'm curious to see who that second guard spot is. Talent-wise, I really want to see Josh Primo, but Shackelford's such a solid guy. I think he'll probably get the nod early on. This could be a chance of sort of seeing what we got with experience. And Quinterly's been there a while. He hasn't played, but he's practiced, so he's going to have. They're going to really know what they've got there, working them in, and then seeing a little bit of shift as the season goes on. Yeah, tough injury for Alex Shaku, the incoming freshman with the Achilles tear here in the last couple of weeks. Not sure he would have been a guy in the in the starting five, but I mean, six eleven, athletic, and can run the four like. You know, from a depth perspective, you were obviously going to see that guy. Yeah, he was a guy I think would have got better as the season went along. Came in late, very raw, very thin. Um, physically, I hate to throw comparisons around because some people take it so literal, but physically, he reminds you of Kevin Durant. He's a guy that'll shoot. He's definitely not Kevin Durant right now. Same number too, thirty-five. So yeah, that's probably not a coincidence. But you're talking about a six-eleven guy that's got a decent-looking outside shot. Uh, string bean, you know, a guy that's going to get bigger, it's going to get stronger, uh, a lot to work with. Um, so yeah, you know, I don't think, you know, the injury sucks, but it's probably not the worst thing for that guy to work on getting a little bit thicker, a little bit stronger. Um, you know, there's still benefits to almost this being an almost red shirt year for him because he was very thin, hadn't played at this level, obviously, so um, an upside guy that, you know, probably can get a little, you know, get a little bit more prepared for next year. So, yeah, I would go with right now uh, here in very early November, less than a month away from the season opener. I would go Quinterly, Petty, Herb Jones, Jordan Bruner and Jaden Shackelford. That would be my starting five. And I'd expect to see in that scenario Josh Primo very early. And yeah, perhaps, I, as you said, Keon Ellis, too. Yeah, I think those two. And, you know, the thing about it is when you want to look at this team and the talent <clears throat> the talent they have, when Primo's possibly coming off the bench or even Shackelford's coming off the bench as your sixth guy or Ellis, you're seeing how this, this team's really turning around talent-wise. They're going to be fun to watch. They're going to be long. They're going to be athletic. You know, they got guys coming in that are long, that are athletic, so – there's a lot to be excited about for Alabama hoops. And another thing, I keep hearing really good things about Kyra Lewis. My Pelicans, the last talk I'd seen, uh-huh. we're possibly talking about taking him at 13th, which would be a lottery choice. I think the lottery. They, they you know, the, Pel- the Pels are trying to totally win me over with the Van Gundy hire, by the way. I'm, I'm almost all the way in with you, Tim, on the Pels. The thing that's interesting, because I know the BOL people really want my – New Orleans Pelicans NBA breakdown right now. <laughs> the Pelicans have been in discussions to move Drew Holiday, who's who's a great player, he's a great person, um, and needs to be on a championship team. They could get good value for him, but you know what? Kyra's got some some uh, Holiday in him when you look at it. Yeah, Don't, he does. Kid's a baby. He was playing college basketball at like seventeen. You know, he's probably nineteen years old right now. He's just a baby. But if they could, if they could move Holiday, get some pieces with what they've got, Zion, Brandon Ingram, a lot of pieces there, ball, and get Kyra, that'd be a good spot. Like you said, Van Gundy has been around a long time. He's mostly like a his last jobs were sort of like, hey, get the Pistons back to the bad boys with no, you know, not a lot of talent. But he's a coach. It could be interesting. That would be a really good spot for Kyra, uh, in my opinion. There you go. That's going to do it for a Super Tuesday edition of the Bama Online Podcast. Tim, always appreciate it, man. Great stuff, as always. Great stuff there at BamaOnline.com with us as well. The Roundtable, that's where you need to be. That's where we hang out. That's our people there on the Roundtable, Tim. They are. They're in this pandemic. They're like family. They're really like family. You can't pick all of them. But you love them all the same, you know? Seahorse told me I can live in his basement. Uh, <laughs> uh, we've got, you know, we got Ghost Charter offering us rides on a on his charter boat. So we've got some yeah. damn Bamas. I turned out one of the posters is a, co- a cousin by marriage. Um, we found out awkwardly enough. So, yeah, it is family. They've been great. 
they've been great during all this because there's been a there's been a wild ride of uh, no commitments to number one class, the losing Sage Ryan. It's been a fun ride, and I'm looking for the rest of the ride. It's been a fun ride here today on the Bama Online Podcast as well. So for Tim Watts, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again urging you, if you haven't already, to subscribe to the Bama Online Podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere you consume podcasts, you can do it. Leave us a rating and or a review while you're there. That would be greatly appreciated as well. Tim, we'll do it again soon, man. All right, man. Talk to you soon, Trav. Thanks, everybody. Until next time, keep it locked to BamaOnline.com for all things Crimson Tide. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!